Hello, YouTube. Nice to see you. Thank you for joining me for another Chit Chats with GitCats. I'm, um, I'm pretty happy with my guests today because I went to the Melbourne Guitar Show last year and there was a couple of standout builders. One of them was Ernie Taylor and it wasn't just me that picked up on how great his work is. Uh, guitar, what was the, the company, mate, that picked you up as the NAMM 2020? It was Premier Guitar. Premier Guitar. Uh, 2020 NAM picks was EC Guitars from Australia, and I have with me Mr. Ernie Taylor. So please make him feel welcome, Ernie. Hey, Ernie. G'day there, Rick. Always good to talk to you. <laughs> you too, mate. Mate, you must be chuffed about that. That uh, to to get that recognition, um, especially from such a big show like NAM. Um, were you expecting that? Oh no, not at all. Not um, at all. That, well, not, well, especially not first time there. Like I was, I basically. Very first time, not sure what to expect at NAM, and um, I went there with um, a new product as such, and um, they seem to like it. Yeah, so and I much deservedly so too, mate. As I said, when I, I played your guitars down at uh, at the Melbourne Guitar Show, how the hell do you get the action solo, mate? That was that was my first thing. It was like I just can think what I want to play, and it's it's happening. No effort whatsoever. Um, is there a trick to that? What's the what's the go there, mate? Uh, it, it just comes down to um, having a good um, level fretboard um, and getting the most out of um, the neck, uh, getting it as accurate as you can. Uh, there's a few little tricks and, and bits and pieces. Um, and often I find that um, I have guitars sometimes come back to me, even if they're interstate, they'll come back to me for the same setup as I as it had when uh, I shipped it to the customer first because yeah. um, they just don't seem to, you know, as it moves around and as they change strings and do things, they sort of send it further away from what my initial setup was and they go, yeah. oh, and then they're pretty chuffed again when they get it back and I've got it back to where it was, yeah. you know, when I first sent it to them and, um, yeah. It's quite a fine balancing act, isn't it? It's a, a number of things that all come in together that you got to work with and, as you said, woods shift, you know, different humidity, um, different heat and they're going to move. So uh, that's something that you, you do if, if people want to send their guitars to you, you can get them back to playing the way they, they left the shop. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I've got um, one coming back from Melbourne um, today. Um, a, a fella wants to change the tuning on a seven string, a, a, a sort of a very low tuning on a seven, and yep. um, actually one of my endorsees, and um, he's sort of in a pickle because none of his uh, local guitar stores are open for a setup or whatever, so he'll just send it back to me. It's, it'll be a couple of days turnaround, all good, you know. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So, mate, what got you into this? So, you, you obviously, did you start as a player and just try to create your own instrument? What? How did the whole ET guitar story start? Yeah, it's going back a while. I've always been tinkering with guitars. Not not a great player. I just lo love my hair metal and you know '80s metal and all that sort of stuff and yeah. '70s rock and all the, all the good old stuff. And I always used to love that and jam along with that. You know, as a kid, and um, played a little bit in bands, sort of high school, university years. But after that, life got in the way for many years, and then I just sort of rediscovered guitars again, uh, particularly inspired by. Steve Vai and his Ibanez series of guitars. The oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so um, um, back at that time, I, cause at, when I was a kid, I could never afford a gem, obviously, you know. Um, mm -hmm. were, even, even back in the late 80s, early 90s, they were expensive guitars. It's still the so, dream for me, mate. One of those floral pattern gems is like, whoa, if I had the cash. Yeah, and so um, I always wanted to get one, and then afterwards when I could afford it, I eventually did get one. Um, but then what... Um, 
there's with the Ibanez community um, or the Ibanez Gem guitars, it's got such a following, and there's so many people who like to modify um, their RGs or or make sort of customized gems. It's um out of out of all the guitar brands, that seems to be the one where people tinker with it and customize it for themselves, you know, quite a bit. Yeah. And not not normally just colors. Often, you know, quite a few changes to the guitar itself, you know, with hardware and and um and so forth so and that's what i got into as well i just wanted to have a gem that was sort of more for me um you know more customized and so i went down that path yep this is sort of like in the early 2000s and um and it turned out to be a lot harder than i thought i thought okay you just somebody surely someone in america or whatever can build uh bits and pieces and um i, I found some people who could do it but it was taking a long time it was quite expensive um so i thought ah, oh, you know this is yeah so i thought i either go myself and so that's kind of where my guitar thing started where i just wanted to literally just for myself make a my own customized ibanez gem style guitar cool and uh and i did about uh two or three of those right yep. at the, in the early days um and they were the ones that i started out with and um and offered as you know as a, as a sort of a custom for others um yep. and that only came about because others were asking when they i posted it up on some forums you know as you as you do you know you're proud of your your little guitars and stuff and so you show them on forums and some people came back to me and said oh that's really cool and um have you considered doing any others because i wouldn't mind something just like that too and so i thought i, I suppose um and so then um, i've got a few of those coming in so people are sending me a couple of guitars and and stuff to um swirl paint you know with yep. the, you know the the Vi Passion and Warfare cool, type. Um, cool, yeah. And so I was, cause that was something I was obsessed with for a while in the early days, um, yeah. trying to work out how you do that swirl painting artwork. That must that and looks like fun, dipping it it's in. Fu the it's fun, but it's so frustrating. It's one of those things that it take. It took I don't know how many hours and dollars I've put into that, honestly, just to try and get that sort of uh, you know that that artwork down. And I still haven't got it down, but I'm, st I'm obviously happier with what I can do now. But yeah. after many years, you know, it, it's it, it's just one of those obsessive things. Um, and uh, so I was doing that, um, and then I thought, uh, I need to, uh, you know, it's um, it, it was getting so obsessed with the whole thing, I started um, looking at making my own bodies uh, that I could then swirl paint or, or um, custom paint. Cool. Um, and then I kept going further back again to next. And so, so my business started, um, and it wasn't really a business. It was just a little sideline hobby at, at the time, sort of around 2006, 2007. And, um, and I was just starting out with that. But then in a couple of years, I sort of wanted to branch out more um, and offer my own designs because I had a few, few designs um, in mind that I wanted to sort of offer around. And, and, and that's how I started. So officially... Um, it was during 2009 that ET Guitar started. Okay. It seems to be a pretty common story that where people start doing stuff for themselves and then others like, oh, you do one of those for me and it sort of just expands from there. So very common story. Now, you yeah, it seems to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was the same with um, getting into production a few years ago. I was I had a four-track, was doing things at home and people were like, hey, you do one of those for me and yeah. yeah. Now, you mentioned the swirl paint jobs. Yes. And how frustrating that is. If you ever do a dip, and if people don't know how they do it, um, how, how do you do it? You explain it, mate, because I, I have never done it, and I'm not going to make shit up. Uh, sure. Well, it's it, in principle, it's a very um, simple process. You basically get a big tub of water, and then you float paints on the top, and you mix them around, so you get those weird sort of psychedelic sort of mixture of colours, and then you literally plunge the guitar through the, the water surface 
and then you effectively 3D print onto the surface of the guitar. So whatever the pattern is on the top of the water, um, you kind of get that printed, sort of like hydrographics if you've ever seen that um, process at yep. all where they're doing um, car rims and, and various things, you know. Um, it's basically the same process. So you've got literally that film of paint on the, surf- of the surface of the water yeah. and then you literally 3D print that effectively onto the surface of the guitar and, and people could never work out when they first saw Vise guitars they thought how the hell is it sort of some sort of a, a plastic mix and all different coloured plastics that are all moulded together no it's simply a um, just the, the paints um, mixed up on the surface like that and it's all very random yep. it's a completely random process and um, and it's way trickier it, it's way more of a uh, art than a science um, I, I know Vi went as far as actually donating blood into the paint jobs for a while. There's the DNA series, and the red in there is actually vials of his blood. Did you know that oh, that he did that? Yeah, he and it wasn't a small amount. They they took a, they extracted a bit of blood out of him actually because mm. there's quite a few guitars they needed to do, and so they mixed a little bit of his blood into each um, uh, little um, container of the red paint. So there's because there's I think two reds. There's one that was a, a bright red, and another one that was a darker red that had his blood in it. And yeah. So, yeah, yeah, classic. So you mentioned the frustration of doing those paint jobs. Yeah. If you do a dip and it comes out, and you go, "Oh, that that's crap. Let's try again." Yeah. Is that doable, or are you stuck with what you've what you've got with the first dip? Um, there's a, little, a few little secrets here, but I don't mind divulging a couple of things. Depending on what paint system you use. Yep. Um, if you use one certain type of paint system, you're really sort of stuck with it, and then you're going to have to let it dry, and then you have to sand it all back and start again. Okay, and so that's a lot of time. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. In, in between drinks there. Um, some other paint systems you can actually kind of wipe off. Like if, if you're not happy with it, you kind of wipe it off, or you kind of let it dry first, and then you wipe it um, off with solvents, and that which then doesn't affect the base coat. And so depending on which paint system you, you use, um, yeah, you can maybe um, do a quicker turnaround, have another shot at it like the next day or something, yep. or you've you got to go and sand the harder paint off, respray the primer, re-level it, get it ready again, which will be a few, good few days. And it's never as good as the first go. It's never as good. I, I had a go at um, dyeing a, a body that I put together. Actually, it's right behind me there. I'm wireless, aren't I? One sec. This was a, uh, a dye job that I, I did and then sanded it back and I wasn't happy the first time around and sanded it, re-dyed it and then sanded it to leave it to, to pop the flame and it was like, oh, it was better the first time. It was better the first time and that's always it's, really it's often, frustrating. It's often, it's often like that, isn't it? It is. It's, it's like, like recording yeah. demos. Uh, yeah. you, you hear that thing of people, well, we flew I in the I first verse. I wish I never touched it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we flew in the first verse from the demo because we just couldn't get that vibe again. And yeah, yeah that does happen. Now, Ernie, I had never played a multi-scale guitar uh, until I played uh, your one. I think it was a Katana. Was that the model that I had here? Actually, is this the one? I'm th- this is the one you had, wasn't it? That's um, the one, man. That is just the slickest guitar I've ever played. I'm not really much the shred guy, but that was just think it, and you didn't have to put any effort into playing. It just came out. Yeah. Multiscale is an interesting one, Um, and it's something that um, I'm helping to put people onto and sort of expand their guitar sort of playing experience a bit um there's a number of other companies quite involved in it now a lot of the major brands are getting right into it too 
because of the the amount of market that it's taking up now. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you're seeing people like um, Jackson and ESP and Ibanez, they're all sort of starting to introduce their multi-scale models too. Um, you've got a few other brands that actually sort of really sort of marketed it heavily and kicked it off, like people like Ormsby, for instance. Um, and um, it kind of happened by accident for me, or more so, not, not accident, but more like um, from the customer base, basically. Um, uh, and I kind of got uh, requested into it, more, so to speak. Okay. Uh, and um, the, ver- the very first multiscale that I made was actually a ghost build that I was making for an Australian client of an American um, guitar company. Wow. Yeah, so I sent the design of this uh, particular guitar. It was like a headless multiscale from an American company. And... Um, and so I built that, and I'd I'd never played a multi-scale before. I'd never built one. It was like here's here's the plans, and here's the, and make it. And so I was working with the customer um, here in Australia, uh, with the choices of timbers and various things like that. But the design was pretty well fixed. And so I built this thing, and then I looked at it, and I'm like, okay, so how do you play this thing now? Um, I picked it up, and I was very surprised. It was actually quite um, intu- like there was there was nothing really to get used to it was like quite comfortable to get straight into like it was obviously a little bit different but um you you know you get your head around it quite quickly you know mm. so within within a few minutes i'm like oh yeah okay this is a, it's a little bit different how you got to hold your um you know how you on your fretting hand it's a little bit yeah you, know, you got to move your things around a little bit differently but otherwise it felt really quite comfortable and so that was my first first go at it and then afterwards it was more from customer inquiries and demand um, to um, start looking at it a lot of, quite a bit more and so from that I did experiment quite a bit because obviously you know you've got limitless options I mean how do you how do you stagger the frets and what scales do you use mm-hmm. and at what, what point do you put your uh, your perpendicular fret you know your normal fret so to speak so depending on where you position that on the fretboard uh, will determine what the angles are either side of that you know what I mean so for instance if you look at this um, I usually use around the seventh or eighth fret. Now I don't know if it's very obvious. There, I'm trying to hold it really I parallel. Can see, there, yeah, 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 yeah. It looks so like right, a, right seventh, about, about the seventh. About here should be quite vertical. Yeah, the the one. If I, if I hold it, I'm trying to hold it really parallel there. So yeah, it's a toss up between those two. You can see they're very close. Yeah. 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 So the eighth is the one I normally use as the perpendicular fret, and so on either side of it, on the nut side, and also on the. Um, bridge side okay you, the, you then get the stagger or the angling of the frets and so i tried a few different options just to say which which felt good and so the one that is on this particular guitar is the one i use pretty much most of the time um, for six strings unless um somebody wants something else but this is the one that i find most people seem to like they they sit down with it and almost immediately they feel quite comfortable with it well i didn't have to adjust i that was my first impression was uh how do you play this and i actually think it was probably one of you guys uh that said just don't look at it and i didn't look and i went to do a bar chord i went to do an f and i went oh wow i didn't realize but my hand actually goes on that angle so um in terms of ergonomics and i've had a bit of trouble with tendonitis over the last few years and i just i couldn't put that guitar down mate when i had it here uh good to hear yeah yeah yeah. and that's that's the sort of thing i'm trying to put across that um there are some benefits to it. It's not some new little trick or fad or something. It's actually got so many benefits to it mm. that people really need to have a closer look at it. Yeah. Um, and um, if you get the if you get the um, multi scale um, 
in the sort of a, a comfortable uh, format, let's call it um, in that way, um, it does actually give you a lot more endurance and a lot less um, pain, especially if you're a, a sufferer of pain. If you've been playing like yourself for you know, quite a few years, you may develop um, some tendonitis or some carpal type issues. Mm-hmm. Um, what this, what the multiscar tends to do is it tends to take out some of that fatigue and the movement of your wrist. You have a lot less, so you probably, I don't know, maybe a factor of five or 10, who knows, I don't, I don't really know, but um, it basically takes out some of that extra wear and tear on your on your wrist, not so much your fingers, but just your wrist. And the, and the reason for that is, um, and it was actually best described to me by one of my um, endorsees, um, a young fella down in Melbourne. Um, he, um, he he loved the multiscales immediately um, when he started, when he tested them out. He went to, to a music store, um, yeah, fiddling with guitars as you do, and he picked up an Ibanez multiscale, and he said, he, then um, he would, and right at that point in time, um, we had a guitar commissioned with me um, to make for him, he's like a new um, custom guitar for himself. And um, he said, yeah, okay, we've got these plans for this guitar, but any chance we could maybe do it as a multiscale? And I said, yeah, yeah, we could certainly do it as a multiscale. And then he said, any chance we could do it as a multiscale with a trem as well? And I went, um, I don't think that exists. I don't that's, think there's any hardware. Yeah, that's where it gets actually, tricky. Mm. There's actually no hardware that can do it, like not into the normal sort of um, the, into the normal sort of uh, fretboard format. Um, other companies have tried to do it by using a normal Floyd and then stagger all the frets in the other direction and just use a sort of a small um, change in the, in the scaling. But then that kind of defeats the purpose, mm. um, where down this end, you really want the frets to be angled in that way so that your, your fingers follow it uh, when you're playing sort of you're soloing in this area. Yep. You know, and um, if, you, if you don't have the hardware, then you can't actually do that. Um, you can't actually angle the frets like that. They need to sort of be straight or angle in the other direction uh, quite a bit more. So... Um, well, aren't we lucky I, that there is a chap uh, that builds something that uh, is accommodating to that? And he's af- actually in the chat room right now. That'd be Remco. That'd be Remco. I would yeah. 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 So so, um, so I ended up building um, some guitars only because I was able to find the hardware to do it. And that was with um, Remco um, of Apollo Music Parts. So we'll, let's give him, let's give Remco a bit of a shout out. Yeah, hey, shout because, out to him. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so good on Remco um, for, for this design. Now, as you can see on this guitar, that, that's the one you played, right? Yep. So, um, so that bridge there uh, is the Apollo. Uh, it's actually a headless bridge, would you believe? Mm. It just looks cool. <laughs> I uh, I went to rip a, a still frame from a video that I used that guitar in, um, and unfortunately, it had my logo in the way of the bridge, and I did my best to try and remove that to show off how cool that, that bridge looks. Uh, and if you look yep. closer, you can see a little imprint of my logo through it. But yeah, it, it does look very cool. Now, one thing that I noticed as to why um, your guitars might play as good as they do, and I've noticed this, guitars that have a zero fret. And I just noticed as you held that up then, that you've got a zero fret. Do you think that yep. goes a, a fair way in getting a con- nice consistent action? Um, it, it probably helps in some ways. Um, I can tell you the reasons why I use a zero fret. Mm-hmm. I mean, firstly, um, I like the fact that no matter what what um, you're playing, 
every string will sound the same because everyone is touching a metal fret. Mm. Okay, so if you've got an open chord that you're playing, it still sounds all consistent with you know, on every note. If you, it's something that you may not always notice, but um, I do, I you know, when you've got like a normal plastic or a bone nut and you're playing open chords, some will sound some strings will sound a bit brighter than others, and then and then people don't really understand why that is, and you know, and it does come down to simple things like that. You know, you. Um, with a zero fret, everything's always going to sound the same because everything's always fretted. Uh-huh. Secondly, um, you've got quite a bit of control on the action because obviously I can you can put in the, a fret as the zero fret of exactly the right height so you can control exactly what action's going to be over the first fret and then further down. So, um, I mean, if you want, you can use the same size fret as what all the others are and then you've got that good... Because, I mean, think, think of it this way. It's just like putting a capo somewhere. Mm. Okay, so it's effectively you, you do have clearance over all the other frets, um, even if you used a zero fret that's the same size. I tend to use a zero fret that's a little bit bigger, so then I can actually um, uh, sort of skim it down a little bit to exactly the height that I want it to give ex- exactly the right clearance. Uh-huh. Um, obviously, with a zero fret, it's very important to use something very hard and um, um, very you know slow wearing, something like a really, really good um, stainless steel fret in that position. Mm-hmm. Regardless of the others, I tend to use stainless on all of them anyway. You're a stainless uh, guy? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love those. Um, and so on a zero, um, it's quite important to have, um, yeah, to, to have a stainless there. So you don't have that wearing down or, or cutting grooves into the um, fret material. Mm-hmm. Uh, funnily enough, my exposure to zero fret guitars was when I was playing in a Queen tribute show and I was got the wig and I was Brian May and I, I had a red special and he's got a zero fret that's right Brian Brian May did that too didn't he yeah, yeah and you know yeah. what he still has the original frets so you said about it wearing out I was yeah. really surprised to learn that he has never refretted that guitar it's all still the original you're kidding what after all those years after all those years he still has the original frets in it including the zero nut uh, the zero fret Wow! Yeah, no, I did not know that. Yeah. so that's that's amazing. It yeah. is, yeah. It's considering that they're, they're standard nickel frets. So I was so into that, and that consistency you're talking about about going from either you know bone or plastic to fretting. That I got an aftermarket nut that I dropped into one of my strats. It's just behind me. If you give me one second. I have a zero fret on my Richie Cotson Strat. Don't know if people could see that, but just behind, or just in front of my standard fret, there's a zero fret there, and that was a an aftermarket thing. So I am a big, big fan of the zero fret, Ernie. And yeah. um, a lot of my guitar designs sort of um, do use that, and it's it's an option I took when I did this particular design, which is the multi scale with the trem. Mm-hmm. I, I came up with this option, so I don't know. Can you see? Sure can. I'm, I'm just going to change this shot. So I can got, um, yep. try and get that into the into the frame. So I figured, how am I going to use a locking nut and do everything? I just did this option. Basically, have the locking nut basically the same, but in front of it, in the correct position, I put the zero fret. Yep. And then the locking nut position doesn't really matter. I could put that almost wherever, but I put that into what I felt was the logical posi- position, sort of directly uh, behind and sort of staggered down. So I pulled the strings down over the zero fret beautiful mate absolutely beautiful and yeah that that works quite 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 okay um and yeah so that's that's the design i'm running with for these particular guitars mate as i said uh that just played like butter i'm not much the shred guy Uh, little bursts but doug de jong i've seen him demoing that guitar and just absolutely going stupid with the shred (laughs) and it's just like 
What even is that? <laughs> and that guitar makes that possible. It's, yeah. Yeah, and I think the other thing that would have helped, and, and I don't know whether you, you might have clicked to it, but the actual multi-scale itself would have, mm. um, possibly without you even um, consciously um, sort of feeling that, uh, I, I think that would have helped to make it feel like a faster playing guitar. Mm -hmm. So the combination of the low action and um, the ergonomics of the, that fretboard, uh, I think would have been what um, you found as you know, feeling quite fast and, and um, comfortable. I uh -huh. think. Well, I've, one of the people we've got in the chat is uh, a great guitarist named Licia Louise. Um, she's one of my favourite local players. Um, and I know she's had issues with tendonitis over the years and we've yeah. sort of exchanged tips and stuff. Licia, I think you need to try one of these multi-scales. It might be the ticket you're looking for just to get rid of some of those angles. Uh, check it out. Yeah, if I could just sort of talk about that just for a sec. Yeah, like, and go for Explain it. a little bit more as to what's going on. Um, what normally happens is with um, with the fretboard, like you normally need to cock your wrist around to fret different chords and different uh, positions, you know, around the fretboard. But with the the angling of the frets, what that seems to do is, no matter where you're playing along the fretboard, what what ends up happening is that your wrist stays straight. Now it's pro probably a little bit difficult for me to sort of demonstrate here just with the camera and all that, but yep. let, let's say you're sort of playing somewhere in the middle of the fretboard, where the frets are all sort of fairly well close to perpendicular. If you have a look, I'll, I'll just spin it around. Yep. And I don't know if you can see it, but my wrist is fairly straight. Okay. Now let's say I'm playing up near the nut. Yep. So once again, my fingers sort of following, uh, roughly, you know, uh, along the sort of angle of the frets, my wrist is still straight. Yep. And if I go all the way down here into the soloing area, <laughs> my wrist is still straight. Yep. Okay, so what that means is that no matter where you're playing, up and down, you could be shredding up and down the neck, you're not having to cock your wrist in any sort of angle. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that is the, the primary thing that takes out a lot of the fatigue out of your wrist. Okay. So things like the tendonitis and the carpal, that's immediately reduced by a, a large factor. Mm -hmm. Secondarily, because of the angle of the frets, you tend to shift the position of where you um, lock your thumb in. Yep. So, you know, if you're bluesy, you're going to have it hanging over the, the that's fretboard me. That's like me. that. Yeah. You know? yeah. Oh, me too. You know, that's all the old, older stuff. Yeah. Um, if you're playing faster, you tend to have it somewhere behind, sort of on the back of the neck like yep. that. Yep. And um, the multi-scale actually changes what you have to do there because your wrist isn't um, having to cock in any certain position. So naturally, your, your thumb will have to move into a more comfortable position as well. And so secondarily, that's what helps to sort of reduce a lot of the fatigue um, during your playing. I, I did find, and I am one of those thumb over guys, um, yeah. really badly. Like, I, it's not until I started seeing videos of myself that I saw that my thumb comes right over to mute the, the strings that I don't want to hear when I'm sort of yeah. playing in that bluesy style. The multi-scale, it doesn't matter. I thought, oh, am I going to be bound to playing thumb behind style? Um, and no, not at all. It, it, it works on both. So, yep. uh, yeah, yep. yeah. Are you it selling, is, it. is it, it's, are you selling more multi-scale guitars than actual standard these days or is it still being discovered by people? It's, um, very much being discovered. I think, um, <clears throat> there's a certain segment of players out there who are very familiar with it now. Um, 
because of the the other companies that are marketing it along with myself. You know, we're trying to push it out there, and uh, but it's still quite a new thing. Like going to Nam, for instance. Um, you know, being there for four days and just the number of people coming past and looking at the guitars and they've never seen it before. Like, and it's, it's to me, it's a surprise because I've been into it since about 2013. So it's, for me, it seems like forever that, you know, I've been tinkering with these things. Yep. But for other people, it's like the very first time they ever saw it. And so they sort of stopped by at the booth and they wanted to sit down and have a go of it because so, they, they thought, oh, wow, what the hell's that? And, um, and funnily enough, many of them sort of got it very quickly. They got it straight away. You know, as soon as they started playing it, they go, oh, right, okay, because it, it feels different when you're playing it. Yep. And um, um, so having said that, though, it is still fairly new. I don't think the majority of people would know much about it or certainly haven't even tried it. So. Sure, sure. Well, I'm, I'm a convert, mate. I'm saving my pennies so that I can grab one of your guitars. Um, Excellent. Yeah, and speaking of your guitars, you do hand-build a lot of your guitars yourself, but there is also an affordable line made overseas, right? That's right, and um, that the uh, production line um, of Asian uh, built uh, models um, that came online in about 2016, 2017, uh, where I started getting those sort of made and, and guitars into stock, um, and um, I'm very happy with them. Um, I've been, yeah, been building up a relationship with the, um, the the manufacturer over there in Asia, and um, so the customers on this side have got the option of um, if they want something a little bit more elaborate, then I'll um, make it here in the custom shop. Um, or you've got the option of the, as you said, the more affordable sort of standard lines. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Um, and I'll show you one. I've got one here. Okay. So this, for instance, is effectively a similar guitar. This is the Avenger. Nice. Okay. So yep. it's a multi-scale, as you can see. It's a fixed bridge. Yep. Um, and it's usually with a nice solid paint finish mm -hmm. on there of various different colors. This one's sort of like a purple metallic. I don't know if you can sort of see it or if I'm getting the wrong sort of No, we can. We can, it. mate. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so I've got those guitars in stock. I've also got some headless guitars that I do um, with the Asian factory as well as in-house, obviously. But this um, is the headless model, what we yep. call the MIG nice nice now i didn't quite catch did the previous one the avenger did that have a, a trem or was that fixed bridge uh, so that was fixed bridge that was yep. fixed bridge. So, so that one's like a little monorail um saddles on there yep and um yeah so normal setup but on the on this end as you can see a normal sort of uh graph tech um teflon nut yep with a zero fret so same sort of deal mm -hmm. and yeah just a, a fixed bridge um in in the form of the monorail like single Sorry, single, um, single saddles. Yeah, and how many models have you got, mate? Um, both in the handmade. I, I guess the handmade ones you can come up with whatever, whatever anybody wants. But uh, the ones that are built overseas, how, how many different lines have you got? How many different models in the line? Um, well, I've expanded. So most of the in-house ones, um, including uh, the Katana model, which was a big model for me, um, was the first major seven-string baritone guitar that I was making. Mm -hmm. um, I've got a, a line of that as well, made um, in, in Asia. And um, I'm expanding them all at the moment, I'm including some brand new ones. Um, I'm doing a take on the traditional Jazzmaster style. Cool. Which, is, which I call the Jazz Blaster. And um, that's becoming very, very popular. Nice. Um, and I might grab one of those. I'll show you, yeah, I'll go show for you it, what mate. they look like. Yep. So bear with me one moment. Will do. Will do. Okay. Back in a sec. In the meantime, folks, I'm going to sing and dance for you because I'm that kind of guy. So uh, folks in the chat room, 
while Ernie is going to grab that, we've got any questions that we can throw at him. So I can see we've got Lisa, Doug, Rimco. So folks, feel free to chuck something at uh, at Ernie. Here he comes. He's back. All right. So we've got this fella. Oh, look at that. So this is a, as you can see, a bound fretboard, fluence pickups, Fishman fluence. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, not multi-scale, no fan frets on that. That's just no, no. A, this was yep. a standard. It's a, but yep. it's a baritone. So this is a twenty-seven inch. Nice. Um, seven string, as you can see. Yep. So um, that's another newish model uh, that I'm doing, and most of those are being made at um, in the Asian facility. So I've got that as a, a new line. So I've got a number of those coming. This one's about to. I'll string that up, and that'll head out tomorrow. Nice. Um, yeah, so um, it, like I say, that one for some reason the the uh, that jazz style is becoming very popular. Uh -huh. I'm getting a lot of requests for that. So yep. um, more than happy to oblige. It's um, very different for me. Um, it's, it's such a large, um, strange body and um, a, a bit different to my normal super strat type stuff. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's terrific. Love love the. It's got a different tone, different feel to it. Everything. So it's um, always good to uh, try something else or put something else in the line. Mate, I'm just having a look at your website here, and I should be able to flick it so that people can see. Um, and I'm looking at the Avenger in seafoam green, and it says $8.99. So that's Australian dollars. $900 for a guitar like that, that plays, you'd have to play them to believe. How? <laughs> how, how can you do that? Well, that that's um, oh, it's it's to do with the efficiency of the um, Asian production line. Yeah. Um, uh, having said that, with the model, I mean that's um, sort of like the starter, the the starter guitar for the multi scales for me. Yeah. Okay, that's um, the timbers are fine. You know, it's like um, basswood. Uh, they're not the normal sort of traditional sort of Asian production guitars. Like Ibanez, for instance, use a lot of basswood and all that. So yep. I'm using I'm using that um, a nice simple maple neck. So the timbers aren't overly expensive or elaborate or anything. Um, the hardware is uh, relatively generic and the pickups are generic. Um, so everything being generic and simpler um, ends up with um, a what I would try and um, um, have as a very competitive instrument out on the market. Okay. I guess today with CNC machines and, and the like, you know, you could possibly send them your dimensions and everything and it's just prompt try chuck it in there and out it comes are you hand shaping everything yourself or are you using cnc yourself i've been using cnc predominantly since i started yeah consistency um, I, um yeah um pretty much um started out doing a few with power tools and templates and yep. got bored of that very quickly you mm -hmm. know um and being a bit of a tech head i always wanted i like machinery and equipment and any you know anything like cnc type equipment um it's just a lot of fun as well. And so I, I sort of pushed myself into that very early on. Yeah, that consistency thing. I, I did talk to Grover Jackson at, at NAM a couple of years ago, and um, he said a lot of people were sort of bagging on him for going that way. No, we preferred your hand-shaped. Um, it's like, well, no, this is consistent. I, every guitar is exactly the same before it was hit and miss. You know, oh, did I get that right? So things have come a long way to make guitars affordable now, huh? Absolutely, and um, it kind of does um, sort of bridge the gap a little bit between what can be done, for instance, in a more, let's say, uh, expensive country, like, say, Australia or America. You know, we say, oh, it's very expensive to make stuff here. 
equipment like CNC machines, 3D printers, all that sort of stuff, you know, laser cutters, all that sort of stuff, it kind of bridges the gap because it takes a lot of the labour out. That's where the big difference is in the labour cost of stuff. And so um, with the right equipment, obviously it costs a bit to get uh, to get that equipment and yeah. a, a lot of um, training and, and practice and knowledge uh, to use the equipment. But assuming you, you, you go through all that, um, it does bridge the gap and, and does help to um, reduce the, the like labour cost side of it. Okay, so are you a one-man show there? Like uh, when you somebody builds, uh, orders a custom-built one from you, are you working on it all yourself all the way? Have you got people helping you out there? Um, I've got some part-time help. Yep. Um, some um, local young fellas, young musos who love guitars and were more than keen to come and help me in the workshop. And so um, so for a lot of the time, I've got um, some help in the wood shop. Um, I'll give some of the easier jobs I can um, train people into, like, you know, using the planers and the sanders cool. and getting and getting the, um, you know, blanks ready for to cut the body out in the necks. Um, you know, great job for, for the youngsters. Uh-huh. And um, even once I've got the body um, sort of cut out and all that, I can get them to help um, sand and hand shape the final little bits and pieces on those. And so, um, and yeah, so it's so it's predominantly a one-man show, um, but with some part-time help as well. That's great. That's great. Now, your um, hand-doing or your, your frets, playing, like the, getting everything leveled and everything, you're not using a, a plaque or anything like that? No, and um, like plaque machines are great, but then just just like a CNC, it's only, the results from that will only be as good as what the operator mm. is able to set it up to. I've heard some and, horror stories, mate. I've got one friend who had his fret job completely ruined by a plaque machine. He was quite a prominent player in Australia. Uh, yeah, and that and, and that can happen, and it comes down to you know the knowledge of the operator using something like the plaque machine. By the same token, doing it by hand is not really a big deal. I mean, it's um, you've got so much control even doing it by hand. Um, if you've got the right measuring equipment um, and ability to see what's happening in the neck, because every neck's a little bit different. They all have their little slight twists and turns. Um, and so you try and compensate for that with um, the leveling of the frets. And um, you have to be very careful on how you seat them to make sure on the you know, on the ends and that they're all consistently sitting on the fretboard and, and they're glued down and, and, and everything is done correctly. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, a lot of my guitars are in serious need of, of maintenance. And, and you mentioned before that people have sent guitars, your guitars, back to you to get them playing the way they did when they left. Uh, yeah. Do you also do that for other guitars? Uh, like if people wanted you to do a setup on another guitar that's not yours, is that a service that you offer? Or Yeah, I, I do um, a broad range of stuff. I, I do sort of um, some servicing uh, plus paint refinishes. A lot of people oh, come cool. to me uh, uh, for... You know, to respray or do a swirl on the guitar or something yeah. like that. You know, um, so I do offer those services. I, I'd have to say these days I probably spend more time building new models and um, and custom orders. You know, custom shop orders as opposed to repairs. Uh, but I do help people out with repairs, especially locally. You know, um, with some people I know um, around here. I certainly help them out, and make sure that their guitars are spick and span. You know? Cool, cool. Yeah. I- as I said, I'm in serious need of maintenance, mate, and I think I might have to send one down to you. If, if you've got the time, I'll, I'll check with you whether that's appropriate at the time or whether you're hard at work on something else. But oh, not a, not a problem. Yeah, I can always have a look for yeah, sure. Very impressed with um, the playability of, of your guitars. Now, you mentioned before that you got your start doing um, customization to gem-style guitars and, and building yeah. ones like that. What kind of custom mods were you putting on that to make it more your own and not, and not Steve Eyes? Yeah, it was more so the aesthetics. Yeah. Okay, so um, uh, in terms of hardware, 
they the Ibanez Gem had great sort of pickups and hardware on that anyway. So that side of things, I didn't really want to change too much. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more so just the general look of it um, to have different colors, color schemes, different themes to them. And um, and a lot of people like to do that because you've obviously got the traditional um, gem style guitars. You've got the the Vi gem range with all the you know you've got the white one, you've got some of the swirl ones, you've got um, you know all the different range, um, including the neons. If you remember those, do you remember the the original? The green? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, 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 the green and the yellow and the pink. Um, Which they've just re-released. The they've just re-released yeah. those, and yeah, that back in vogue. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, it's, it's more sort of the aesthetics of those those guitars. So I literally started just painting them. Um, and then piece by piece, I was going back in the uh, until these, day, um, these days, I'm pretty much making guitars from planks of wood and fret wire. And yeah, it's from, yeah, from ground up. So in terms of neck shape, um, is, is that something that you've experimented with over the years just on your own guitars? Uh, I know there's been a few guitars I've picked up from other people lately and, and I've, played it and gone looked at the builder and said asymmetric neck huh and they're like yeah you you picked that and i was like yeah it's been, is that something you play with or you you go for the symmetry yeah oh look um neck profiles is one of those things that all builders really sort of tinker with yeah um probably for for their own sort of um curiosity rather than necessarily for the customer even sometimes a customer is very definite in what they like you know and um it'll be either oh i like a chunkier neck or like a really thin fast neck or i want like i want one that's flat on the back or one that's very round or one that's asymmetrical or one that's sort of clapped in v or you know so sometimes um a person knows what they really like because they're comfortable with it Mm -hmm. other other times um you sort of work in with the customer um and other times you know when i'm getting a chance to just play in the workshop I'll, i'll fiddle around and um and see what i you know what other shape works yeah Cool, because it, it's also different, and it, and it all depends on on the mood as well, doesn't it? Like sometimes you can be, oh, I'm just gonna play some slow bluesy stuff, give me a big fat neck. So, trying to find something that can cater to all and actually yeah. let you and rip it, when you want as well. That's it's one of those things that it um, it comes down to personal preference. Like a neck profile is complete personal preference. Um, people, and it depends on how long your fingers are, how big your hands are, all that sort of thing as well. And, and you adjust yeah. as well. It doesn't take long to go. Oh, this is weird. Oh, this is really comfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I, so yeah. any anywhere between like a really thin, fast neck up to a sort of a fat sort of strat style neck. Um, most people adjust to anyway, but they have their preferences. Mm. And um, and the only other sort of neck, other than the asymmetrical, I mean, some people really like those uh, because that shifts the position of where your, their um, thumb is at the back and also how it sits in the palm, you know, in, wherever you're playing. That makes a bit of a difference there. Um, but... The one big one these days that um, has made a, a bit of an impact to um, the market is the um, uh, the, the Strandberg in, in, Endure Neck. I haven't tried it. I haven't tried yeah. it. I know the one. Yeah, so that's something that um, Strandberg were offering as a license uh, to other manufacturers. So you'd, you'd, you'd pay Strandberg a license fee and then you could reproduce that neck. But they've stopped doing that as a number of years ago and I'm not sure why. Yeah. Uh, but I, I ended up um, making a few based on customer request of that um, neck style. Yeah. So if folks don't know what we're talking about, the back of a Strandberg neck is... It, it's trapezoidal, basically. Trapezoidal. I was going to say it's like half a uh, hexagon, isn't it? But that would probably be, be trapezoidal. And it, sh- and it 
twists, doesn't it? The shape of Correct. it twists. Correct. Yeah, the, the, yeah. Um, the, the shape of the trapezoid um, changes. And so it's it's steeper sort of up near the nut end. If you can imagine putting your thumb, um, you know, just behind the fretboard, you know, just on the, on the back of the neck, it's sort of steeper up near the nut and then it sort of um, gradually changes uh, as it goes down towards the, the other end. So it's basically keeping the thumb at the right angle at the back of the neck if you're playing behind there like that. Yeah, right. I'm going to have to try them. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the prototypes that I've got, which I don't have in the workshop, I can't show you because it's, it's with um, a good buddy of mine, and he's, I don't think he's ever going to give it back to me. <laughs> um, actually, you, you'd remember him, Phil. Phil, from the, yeah, I was going to say, is yeah. this, are you talking about Phil? Yeah. I'm talking about Phil, yeah. yeah. He's, he's, he's not giving that back to me, so <laughs> I don't think. And uh, what it was, um, it was based on, uh, it was one of these Strandberg license necks that I was going to make Yep. Um, as an order. Um, however, um, I stuffed it up on the CNC, didn't I? Oh. Uh, it, but it, I was able to salvage it and change the profile, so it wasn't anymore the um, Strandberg profile. It was something that I had to just to make the piece of wood work, and it ended up being like that, but as a V shape instead. Okay. So there's, no, there's no flat spot at the back. Yeah, right. And that ended up um, for us actually one of the most comfortable necks ever in terms of profile. Wow, happy accidents, huh? Yeah, yeah. So it was like as a it was um, one of those accidents that is almost like fate. Is like. That's why Phil's not going to give it back to me. He just he, yeah. he loves it too much. He, he can play anything on it. It's it's yeah. Have you tried you to recreate re- it since? Um, no, but I'm going to try and find that CNC program that messed up and see if I can actually recreate it. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, but because it's, it's something I definitely want to um, keep and perhaps introduce if I'm not um, infringing on um, Strandberg's patent. Of course, I, okay. I wouldn't want to do that. Um, if it's if it's um, different to them, then um, yeah, I'll certainly look at it and introduce it because it is so comfortable to play. Cool, cool. Well, I tell you what, mate. Like, first up, I'm going to try and maybe um, get the funds together, just get one of your your overseas guitars and get something like that in my hands. But eventually, I'll, I'll save the coin and come and see you, and I'll actually come to your to your workshop and play a few different profiles and make sure I get the right one for me. Oh, that'd uh, be great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of which, where are you located? In um, the Southern Highlands, New South Wales, a town called Mittagong. Mittagong, okay. Yes, yes. So um, near Barrel, um, the home of Donald Bradman. Um, okay. Yeah, so um, it's south of Sydney, about an hour's drive south of Sydney. Okay, okay. Is that anywhere near Nowra by any chance? Um, we're basically inland from Wollongong. Inland from Wollongong. Yeah. My trusty little assistant beside me is from Nowra. <laughs> We're talking about you. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Mate, like I said, next time I'm down in Sydney, I'll, I'll come down and, and have a bit of a, a play. And just to see the actual setup, I'll bring some video gear and we'll do a bit of a tour. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be awesome. Yep. Yeah. Uh, folks in the chat room, have you got any um, any questions for Ernie? I'm not sure whether mine is working there or everyone's just being quiet today. That's fine. Uh, mate, what other little mistakes did you make when you were first starting out like i'm sure there's people out there going yeah i'm gonna try and build a guitar myself is it a common thing that you could save some people some time and go hey don't make this mistake anything spring to mind there yeah well I, i'm gonna, I'm gonna as you think about that i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna bring one up yep um now folks if you're going to scallop your fretboard <laughs> don't okay, take yeah. your eyes off the fretboard as you're doing it i i 
way back when i've still got my first electric guitar it's back there and yeah vi was the big thing so i tried to you know scallop the the, the first four frets and i simply grabbed a pen and wrapped some paper around it and i was just doing the motion i was and i looked away and talked to somebody didn't i <laughs> and then came back and went whoa too far so um Actually, it's not on that guitar. It's another neck I have laying around. It's a bit of uh, auto bog filler on the upper end of the fretboard. What mistakes can you uh, help people not make that you've made? That anything to bring to mind? Yeah, well, th th there's a there's a big one, and it's a fundamental thing. So, for yep. instance, uh, and it comes down to like, let's say somebody wants a custom version of something. It could yep. be anything. And they go, oh, instead of that bridge, can you put this bridge on it? And that's all I want. And so it yeah, should be no extra cost or anything. And it's like what, you, what people need to understand is that even the slightest change you make to a guitar, it could have consequences that you did not expect. Okay. There's, there's so many things that you would never have thought of and you can completely stuff things up. Uh -huh. And so one of the main things is and it something that does factor into the price of customs is a lot of the time especially if it's something that you uh, the builder is not sure about you kind of have to have a practice run with like really cheap throwaway timber and test everything out first make sure the scale length works make sure that there's no hidden little surprises where you think oh yeah that was supposed to be straightforward but then all of a sudden it makes it so it's impossible to play or that's impossible for the hardware to work for some reason uh -huh. and um there's bound to be all sorts of different examples, but um, the, the most common one is something like a scale length. For instance, if you're going to try and use on a, on a certain design a different type of bridge or something, you better test it out first and make sure you do it on a piece of wood and you even go to the trouble of stringing it up, at least the two outer strings or something, and you make sure that everything's working and you can get intonation and all of that because that's a, that's a big um, and common mistake that people will make. Yeah, right. Uh, okay. And, and when people are fiddling out their own one, um, they'll likely just sort of make a body, for instance, because it's usually a bit easier to sort of um, get a lump of wood and then bandsaw it out and put a template around it and sort of shape it even by hand or something. Um, definitely practice beforehand and um, make sure you've got everything. And it's certainly before painting, like even once you've made the body, bolt it all up, you know, put the hardware on, put the strings on, make sure it's all going to work, then paint it. <laughs> you okay, know, don't, yeah, yeah. And don't, don't paint it and then... And then discover that you've got to reroute parts of it or something yeah you know? sure so speaking of woods uh do you have a preference for woods and have you experimented with any australian woods is there a particular wood in australia that is a, a good as a tone wood do you actually believe in tone wood um that's such a hot that. hot debate I know, I I had, know you, yeah. you you had to ask that, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I had Frank Falbo and Remco on here uh, yeah. early on in the piece, and Frank would just laugh at the suggestion of tone wood. But mate, I've got I've got a um, right beside me. There's, a, there's an Ash Stratocaster. That's a basswood Stratocaster. There's an older one back there, and all yep. those things that they say about the sound of those particular woods, you can hear that acoustically. My yep. my older Strat, which is you know, traditional type of wood, just has a strong mid range about it and you can yeah. hear it without being plugged in the astrat just there has no mid-range it's all about the low and the top end um the basswood one i have there uh, it plays great i'm not 100 percent happy with the sound i'm going to play with some different pickups and things yeah. but um and Look, my, my, my take on that yep. is um i was just talking acoustically by the way then that not through pickups yeah, yeah. okay that that's why i was yeah i was going to go on to the next stage of that which yep. would have been you know, you can get any of those guitars, and once you plug it in and you put some processing through it or some sort of gain or distortion, 
um, the apparent differences are sort of reduced quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in terms of a recording scenario or even playing through an amp, it's probably not quite as obvious. Um, but acoustically is where you do feel the difference. You know that there is something happening, that the timbers do affect it in some way or another. And it's not to say that timbers are either good or bad. It just depends what you're after. Mm. You know, you can use a really light timber like basswood, but what you can then expect is that even though it's going to have resonance, it's going to take out some of those frequencies. It's going to have, it's going to take out the top and the bottom. It's going to be very sort of flat across the board on the EQ yep. in terms of what the strings are doing. Um, the, 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 the body itself and also the neck timbers, they, they dampen. So all you can ever do with a guitar is subtract from the initial ringing of the of the steel string. Uh-huh. Okay, so the, the perfect situation would be is a you know a very hardly bolted down um, situation with a steel string there, and then you get all the energy out of it and all the normal frequencies of the metal. Uh-huh. Then when, once you put in put it onto a guitar with all sorts of different materials, all sorts of different woods and all that, all of those tend to subtract from that. They take out some of the frequencies. Okay, so all all you can ever do from a guitar is subtract, subtract. away from the initial from the initial energy yeah yeah does that make sense absolutely and you know what that's not such a bad thing um i I do a lot of mixing for for people and some some people go man how'd you get it to sound like that what did you add well no i just took out what was bad so subtractive and i guess looking at a guitar in that way kind of makes sense and and, um and so i I am a believer in tone woods i'm not obsessed by it either uh, but I, I do, you know, after a number of years experience and trying so many different timbers and different um, configurations or geometry, geometries of those timbers and all that, uh, you can't help but sort of pick up the differences uh, between them and also find the same, find patterns. Like, for instance, ash, American ash has just such a distinctive feel and resonance. Um, you said you had an ash um, strap there. It is so heavy, and I've modified, yeah. I've customized this a lot. This was a, a Richie Cotson Stratocaster. It yep. was, um, it was a puke yellow. I think it was a take on a, a Mary Kay finish, but it turned out yellow. Uh, I stripped it. I've the neck here. I took out a whole bunch of wood there, just from photos yep. uh, of the Guthrie Govan. Govan um, sort of did all that. I've taken yep. a lot of weight out of this, and the first thing anybody says when they pick this up is, "Whoa, how heavy is that guitar?" Um, yeah, but it has those characteristics uh, of ash that they say ash has, and it just has a a bloom around the front end of the note on this guitar um, yes. that none of my other guitars have, and it's a dynamic thing that, that there's a transient around the front end of the note. Yes, um, yeah, and, that, and that's that's a really good way to describe it as to how it's really the dynamics of uh, what the string does after you've plucked it and what the uh, timbers tend to do and what they're what they're actually subtracting from the string initially yep. like some some timbers will immediately sap a, a lot of the energy out of the string and and some of the frequencies will disappear out of the string in other cases like ash for instance it keeps some of those it just reflects some of those uh, frequencies and keeps them strong within the string it just keeps it vibrating in some way um, other timbers do different again. Like for instance, you've got that whole less Paul type thing with the mahogany body yep. and neck. You know? yep. And that's a very, very real thing. You can't deny that. It's like um, the mahogany will tend to take out some of that top end ring, some of that high frequency. It just takes it out and um, it just absorbs that very quickly, but then keeps the lower and mid frequencies um, going more, more so. Absolutely. And um, it's just something that's very obvious. Now on an electric, a solid body electric guitar, it's not quite as obvious, but uh, the example I often use with people is on an acoustic guitar, try and tell me that different sort of timbers 
that you can't even an untrained ear even a person who's not musical they can tell the difference they can hear the difference on an acoustic guitar it is striking uh i mentioned lisa's in the chat room there i did some recording with her about probably about a year ago now and we rounded up about 10 acoustic guitars from various friends and yep. if you look around people are surprised i don't own an acoustic guitar and i always tell them because a good acoustic is five thousand dollars plus and i've got friends that have those who trust me enough to lend me them when I need them. And so we rounded up a few and uh, my friend Link has a Koa Taylor acoustic guitar. There yep. is just a whole octave of frequencies, not notes. Everyone thinks I'm talking about notes. I'm talking frequencies of low end on that guitar that no other guitar has. You feel it resonating. And then some of yep. the other guitars have got you know, very pronounced mid-range to it. And it's all the woods, isn't it? And construction. Oh, yeah, look, obviously construction's got a lot to do with it, the bracing inside that you don't see and how um, how that's all put together underneath the thin top on an acoustic. However, uh, let's take the same model guitar, but, you know, in a certain range done by you know, any of the main sort of acoustic manufacturers, and then they've actually got the different models within that same, or the different versions within that same model where, okay, you've got one with a spruce top and then you've got another one that's sort of more cedar based with the back and sides and a, maybe a cedar top and another one that's got more sort of rosewood in there on the top or on the sides or something you can tell the difference you know, on the same model mm -hmm. it, it, and so for me it's the same principle with electric guitars but the effect isn't quite as strong as that it's just a, it's a lot more subtle than that but it's still there like um and it's it, it's as you were saying before like acoustically when you first you know you know fiddle around with a, a solid body electric acoustically you can tell that there's a bit of a difference. And it's like when you're playing it, it's just how it feels up against your belly. It's just, it's different yeah. how it's resonating and vibrating and, and all that. And um, you can certainly tell on the final thing with distortion and all that, look, you may not be able to tell as much. And people do all these sort of uh, frequency tests and, oh, look, the spikes on this are the same as this wood and that wood. Well, yeah, it's going to be because you're not really measuring the timber as such. You're just measuring, you know, what the output of the guitar is in, in a different way. So it's, so um, I am a believer in time, but I don't obsess over it. Yeah, it sure. So as, as an experiment, I, I still have my very first electric guitar. Uh, What's well, the body and neck of it? I did so much of it over the years, not knowing what I was doing. But, you know, 13-year-old kid, oh, I want to put a humbucker in this. I don't have a chisel. Let's use a screwdriver. And, you know, it's, it's a real mess. But it's, it's a plywood body. Yeah. Um, I've got a couple of nice bridges to put on there. I've got a Godot 510 and a Wilkinson. I'm going to try and round up some other stuff and actually put some good hardware on that guitar, which I know yep. is plywood, and just see if I can get it sounding good, just to see. Just oh, look, I can, I can guarantee you will. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, even the plywood, um, it, will ha it will certainly um, it'll have its own resonance, and you'll certainly get a, 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 a decent sound plugged in with it. Ab yep. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Yep. Well, I was pleasantly surprised um, when I first met Ramco. He... Um, he had some brass blocks for Floyd Rose and he wanted to hear the, the difference in, in sound on those or, or sustain. So we did a bit of a controlled experiment. I said, mate, yeah, we'll do that. You come here and do the changing of the bridge, mate. I'm not interested in doing that. You do that. And he said, yeah, yeah, cool. So with the standard uh, block on a Floyd Rose, recorded that just to see, hear it, um, see how long the sustain, etc. Did the same thing with the brass block. Um, there was no difference. I'm trying to remember what the results were. There was no reduced no difference in sustain everyone talks about brass the sustain the sustain that was exactly the same tonally there was a big difference it was yep. a lot mellower that just didn't have that zing across the top end yeah 
so there are different things. We're talking about woods. Well, we've got this wood and it's a bit too bright. Put some brass on it, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's very... You tweak it. It's a synergy, isn't it? We're just talking about the, the setup of, of, a, of a guitar being a synergy yeah. of multiple things. I think the sound is as well. Yeah. And um, what you would have been seeing there, I remember the test, actually. That was, what, about a year ago, was it? Was a bit it? more, mate. Yeah, I, I, I do, yeah, I remember the test that you guys did, and um, what it comes down to the same sort of thing, and it come, like especially with parts of like metallic um, components on hardware, it comes down to the metals being mm -hmm. used, and because all metals have got different densities, haven't they? So mm -hmm. some some like aluminium, for instance, is a lot lighter, therefore um, the um, the transmission of sound through it is going to be a touch slower than a much denser metal. Mm -hmm. So then brass, for instance, is a little bit denser, actually quite a bit denser than aluminium. So therefore, it's, it, the, the um, sound's going to travel through it in a different way. And then going further along, any of the steel um, or stainless steel type parts are going to be um, denser again on top of the brass. And so you've immediately got like a chain of different um, uh, of different uh, materials of different densities that will then um, transmit the sound differently. Uh -huh. And so that's what that's what you would have been seeing. So in terms of um, the sustain, that probably would have been the same. But in terms of the frequencies, it would have been different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now you said about you know different woods subtracting from the tone. At the guitar show, a few booths down from you was a chap that had aluminium body guitars. They were just a, a basically a shell, the, the yeah. outline of one. I forget the, the name, and all aluminium fretboard, etc. Whole whole guitar was aluminium. And he's have a play, and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to sound great. Uh, and it actually did. I was surprised at the sustain of it all and everything. Um, so, yeah, I think a bit few experiments on my end to see if I can tell the difference, not just acoustically, but actually plugged in. Uh, I do notice fretboards. Um, so I'm a fan of maple fretboards. Don't know if it's in my head. It just has more of that transient around the front end of the note that I was talking about. Yep. And I've put that in my head, correct me if I'm wrong, down to rosewood being a, a lot more, uh, it's not dried out as much as, as maple. Um, maybe that's soaking up some of the energy. Um, what is it I'm hearing? What do you think? Or am I just full of shit? No, I think you're right. Um, even the fretboards do have a bit of a, a difference. Um, and that comes down to because the, the string is making contact with the fret, you're, you're pushing down on the fret, which is then in direct contact with that nice big strip of timber that's on the on the neck you know on the, in the form of the fretboard so that has to make a bit of a difference in terms of how it's subtracting some of the frequencies out of the string and the string energy that it's reducing so um, the timbers are a little bit different um for me my favorite is probably ebony i, I really like it. me too yeah I, I quite like it um maple's quite good but you're, you're right for whatever reason it stays bright the higher frequencies seem to stay in the string and that gets transmitted down to the bridge and then um then the, the the pickups will sort of register a different energy from the strings um so maple probably pulls out some of the lower end uh, rosewood does the opposite it pulls out more of the higher end and keeps some of the lower um the lower frequencies active in the string vibration okay do you offer um bolt-on and neck through designs or you i, I do mostly um, bolt-on, to yeah. be honest, with some set necks. Um, I've done a few um, neck throughs, um, but for me, my favourite is bolt-on, to be honest. Mm, same. Um, 
it's a little bit selfish on my part because obviously in terms of the manufacturing process, it's much better. Mm-hmm. But um, in terms of the final result, uh, in terms of the response of the guitar, I like the bolt-on better than a neck through anyway because the the dynamics of it are different. Yep, yep. That that. I don't know. Have you, have you, what, what's what's your experience with it? Well, that that whole transient thing around the front end of the note. Um, yep. I I put a lot of that down to a bolt-on. Um, that Les Paul sound where people say, oh, it has so much more sustain than a Strat. No, it just doesn't have that initial transient around it. Yep. I've seen visual waveforms, much like the test that we did with uh, Remco's uh, brass block, and Les Pauls just don't have that pop around the, the front end of the note, that transient. And I can hear that straight away um, on recordings. People go, okay, oh, that's a Les Paul. Go, How can you tell? And it's just like, well, it just doesn't have that initial transient around the front end of the note, which disguises itself as being more sustained, but I don't actually think it is. No, I, th- I think you're spot on there. And like a, a neck through, for instance, is different again because you've literally got that one whopping great piece of timber that goes from you know, from the headstock all the way down to the end of the body. Okay, that's all the one piece of timber. And so you've got that effect of it's it's a lot more um, a consistent um, vibration that's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas on a bolt-on, you've got two completely separate parts. You've got a, a neck that's its own thing, own timbers, and you've got a body, and they've got this interface where you bolt the two together. And so when you've got a vibration, you've got a vibration happening in the neck. It, you know, it's transferred from the strings down through the, the fret or the nut down into the neck piece. And then at the bridge end, you've got um, the vibrations then transferring into the body. And then you've, as the vibrations go backwards and forwards between the two, they try they meet at that interface between the neck and the body. And then sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. And then often the time when they don't, that actually gives that – I'm not even sure what the right word would be there. Dissonance. Dissonance, dissonance yeah. D- dissonance where they're not going to cancel each other out. They're going to actually, in some cases, amplify each yep. other yep. a little bit. But in either case um, – you're going to have a more dynamic response from a bolt-on because mm-hmm. of what the frequencies are doing. They're not actually um, often cancelling each other out. They're actually bouncing off each other. Yep. Um, whereas on a on a set neck, because you've got that hard gluing between the two, you've got less effect of that. And then on a neck through, you don't have any effect of that because the, all the all the vibration is is consistent all the way from one end of the guitar to the other. And so some people like that. They like that smoothness of of the thing other people like the dynamics of you know that dissonance between the neck and the body on a on a bolt-on and that's what i like i I like that slight chaos there that's happening i've seen uh steve i being asked about um why evo his number one why why are you using that all, all, all the time and i've seen him pick it up tap the neck tap the body and go listen same note yeah. So he's got the necks and body matched in, in frequency to um, resonate, resonate together in, in, frequent, um, in sympathy with each other. So, and I guess, like, I'm not sure if people have experienced this, but with an acoustic guitar, somebody can be beside you and play their D string. And if you're in tune with them and you've got an acoustic beside you, look at your D string. It's being activated just through sympathy, the, the airwaves. I, yeah. I, I picked up on that as, as a kid. And... Um, Perhaps that's what we're talking about in the body woods resonating together or clashing and, and bringing up that dissonance, which man, yeah. bands like Corn and Limp Biscuit made a career out of those that sound. <laughs> yeah. How about fret wire, mate? You, we, we talked about you, you, you're a fan of um, stainless steel. Um, yep. Now, I'm not sure if people are hearing that ding as people are texting me. That's coming through there. I've turned that off. Um, 
Are you hearing a sound in, in frets, a difference between solid st- stainless steel and uh, nickel? Yeah, it comes back to what we were sort of talking about before uh, to do with, uh, you know, the properties of the metal itself. And so stainless steel uh, being harder and denser than nickel steel, um, you, you have to get a different performance. And so with the stainless, they do tend to be a little bit brighter. I can hear that, yep. So you, you can definitely get that when you're... In person. I don't know whether I could hear um, in a recording, for instance. I have no. seen people do it. Like the guys at Warmoth, Aaron at, at, at Warmoth, um, Aaron Cheney. Check out Tone Talk. Aaron did a, a great little interview with them recently. Um, Aaron does little comparison tests where he gets exactly the same hardware and basically reconstructs the guitar and but just swaps out the body or a different neck with stainless and i could hear it in those blind tests but man it's splitting hairs it really is yeah. like seriously uh, just a millimeter adjustment on your amp will make up for it so yeah yeah, yeah. exactly so in terms of a, a difference in um tone and all that i i, I wouldn't be you're too worried about you know the differences between the fret materials it's more what feels good mm-hmm. um and obviously with stainless steel i mean it's got the huge benefit of um its wearing ability where it doesn't wear much you know it takes a long time for, for to get little um pit you know pitting marks you know, under the strings um you know, on stainless frets i mean they'll stay bright and shiny and unmarked for quite a long time uh in comparison to other softer materials but i mean by the same token other people like um nickel frets or even older softer frets than that you know like some of the old acoustics for instance they're made with brass almost or copper or something mm. i don't know they're really really soft fret wire and you know some people like that some people like that bit of resistance when you're playing so when you're bending you feel that resistance whereas with um stainless you've got virtually no resistance i mean mm. it's very very slick when yep. you're when you're bending on a on a stainless fret um some people like that yeah that uh, that resistance to bending plus uh, that slight possible slight warmth um i guess you'd, you'd have um of the nickel fret um in comparison um especially more vintage players like i know um i did a refret on a old les paul for a, a local guy mm-hmm. um a while ago and i was i was explaining to him the differences and you know in, um like and i I'm not trying to talk him into the stainless, but I suggested it to him. And he says, nah, you know what? I mean, because he goes, oh, look, I'm an old guy anyway, and these frets will see me through. Yeah. Uh, I'll just can we keep it this uh, with, with what I'm used to and what I like. And all. I said, absolutely, no problem at all. Yep. Um, and he's comfortable with his nickel frets on his Les Paul, and, and that's great, you know. Cool, cool. Right, there is a, uh, a cool question here, Ernie, that um, I'm just going to drag onto the screen here. It's from Sean Zimmerman, and he says... Why do hollow bodies seem to have more feedback than a regular solid body electric if tone woods don't matter to a pickup? Uh, just wondering your and Ernie's opinions. I don't think that's so much to do with um, the tone wood, but rather it being an acoustic amplifier of energy, really. I don't know how to put it into words. Maybe you might be able to explain to Sean. Yeah, not not so much to do with tone woods. It's more... Um um that whole feedback loop thing mm. so when you've got when, when you've got the um you, you've got the volume of sound coming from the amplifier and then it's coming back through and into the main chamber of the hollow body guitar 
it starts to resonate the body, which then puts back more resonation back into the bridge and then into the strings. And mm. so you've got that feedback loop where just the sheer energy of the sound coming from the amp actually keeps the strings ringing further and give more, more energy to the strings. It's almost like a um, sustainer type thing mm. happening. That's totally that thing I was talking about where if somebody's got an acoustic beside you and they play their D string and you're perfectly in tune how yes, it would treat it's, exactly. that's the same thing yeah it's, it's ringing on, yep. the, the, the airwaves are triggering it it's um, it's vibrating in sympathy with, with the other one so it's the same kind of thing but just a lot louder and therefore creating a loop and off she goes so absolutely yeah. yeah so that's why you have to put your yeah you have to mute the strings because literally the strings want to vibrate mm. because it, the whole body the uh, because of its properties as a high body, it just picks up the sound, the sound waves from the amplifier, doesn't it? It yeah. just, it, and then that has to transfer into the strings, you know, mm. back into the strings. Mm. So mm. that's that. That's what I see anyway. Yeah, Australian Woods. Uh, I know I said I'm, I've got my hands, my eyes on a million things. Forgive me if you've answered that already. You, you, um, you use many Australian Woods in the in the designs. Um, some, not not a lot. Um, I know some some other Australian builders. They um, have a theme of using you know, Australian timbers and this and that. That'd be and, acoustic and, guys. Uh, uh, there's a guy here, um, Aaron Fennick, and he's very big on uh, Australian tone woods for his acoustics. Yeah, yeah. just yeah, wondering that's when great. When it comes to electrics, um, the one the main one that I've used and I do like it is um, Australian blackwood. Okay. Yep. Um, that one. But it's a strange one because it is very variable. Even though I'm not obsessive about tone woods, I've just noticed such a big variation with with blackwood. I mean, I've had ones that behave like a really bright sort of ash, and I've had others that behave like the darkest, darkest mahogany. You know, it's just there's such a big variation with Australian blackwood, mm. and it's maybe just to do with the species and just how how different they are and where they grow and all that. Uh, I don't really understand, but that's just it, it, I just find that to be a very variable um, thing. And so whenever someone says, "Oh, you want this sort of," um, you know, I want it to be bright in terms of its tone and all that. Um, with, with with Blackwood, I it's, I can't predict it. I don't know because it's not a consistent wood. Whereas other ones like Ash or um, Sapelli, um, you know, the African mahogany, they're very consistent. You know, each piece that you get, it's you know how it's going to behave roughly. Mm -hmm. You know, I've seen videos where people have made guitars out of ramen noodles. You know, <laughs> have you seen that? Yeah. The guy you know, yeah, yeah. puts it in all in fiberglass and. It sounds like a guitar. It doesn't sound like something made of noodles. Uh, yeah, yeah. Once again, it's um, you're getting the properties of probably the resin casting more so than the noodles. Yeah, totally. You know, totally. So, um, I mean, you can make obviously you can make a, a guitar body out of anything. You can make it out of a lump of aluminium. You can make it out of a lump of acrylic. You know, like those you know those clear BC rich guitars, for instance. You know those. Um, I remember the ones. Clear, clear, the clear plastic ones. They yeah. weigh a ton, don't they? They do. Um, Ampeg made them as well back in the day. But they, they, yeah, 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 yeah. The old ones That's, I saw were made by Ampeg. I was like, a base amp company making these? Yeah. Um, yeah, so you can, you can make it out of that. You can make it out of fiberglass. You can make it out of all sorts of different things. So I long as it doesn't kill the, like, so long as you don't make it out of something like rubber, because that would absolutely kill the resonance straight away. You just wouldn't get any you know you, you wouldn't get much um, luck with that i don't think but anything that's a hard material that can transmit sound or sound vibration it's probably no drama well let's think about the van halen album 5150 there's a few songs in that where he's using a plastic guitar essentially carbon fiber yep. being the steinberger um yep. i don't listen to that album and go oh geez the guitar tone's a bit different on this one you know it's he's got that magic marshall and i think that that takes over any influence that the body might have 
but he's, that's a very humbucker sound. This is something that I, I've said before. You, you might correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, but in my opinion, if I'm using a single coil pickup and I'm driving an amplifier, I hear more of the guitar. Um, it sounds woodier. I hate to use that, that word, but it's like I can hear more of the wood. I know I'm probably not. Whereas when I'm using a humbucker and it's, and it's pushing the amp harder, I'm, I tend to hear more of the amp. Um, just, a, just a small ob- observation I've made. Is that something that you've noticed? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think um, with the humbucker, because you've got the ex- like more windings, there's more, um, it's behaving in a stronger way. Um, um, I, I think, yeah, you described it well. I think you, you are hearing a lot more dynamics as such anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I noticed having a look at your, your website, um, et, etguitars.com, yeah? Yes. It's not a, not a .au, yep. Um, yeah. That's... There were some older pictures there of guitars with um, Seymour Duncan Invader pickups in it, which was, at the time, I'm not sure if they still are, the, the highest output passive pickup available. And I guess I went down that road originally with my Burnt Strat, which is up behind me there somewhere. I've had so many things in it. It wasn't all that. I thought, yeah, high output. No, I've gone back and tried a bunch of different things. And I have a Kinman P90 style in there now. It looks like a, a single call size, but sound of a P90. That's got the best of the both worlds there. Just that drive, but still that earthiness about it, I'm finding. Yeah. 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 Uh, are you, um, do you have a preference for any particular type of pickup in your designs? Um, I'll start with um, the generics that I have, because mm. obviously my production line, okay, yep. I've got a bit of a, a selection and an offering and an ability to have some customized pickups. So I've spec'd out some pickups in my range. Yep. And um, funnily enough, I do have within that range a Invader style um, that I don't often use anyway. Um, that might have been what I saw. That would have been it. So yeah. in the Avenger range, um, that is one of the options um, as a generic. Um, there's also the your typical Alnico, Alnico 5 um, type magnet um, humbucker. That's along the lines of your standard sort of PATH type humbucker. Um, and then you've got the more sort of modern pickups with the sort of like a ceramic magnet that have a little bit more um, harshness to it, let's call it, or a little bit more extra clarity and a little bit more punch. So um, I've got those generics uh, that, that I put into the Avenger line and also into like the new Jazz Blaster line, uh, our six or seven string pickups. So I've got those available. Um, a lot of the time, um, the clientele that I have, they are quite sort of familiar with their pickups anyway they seem to have their favorite pickups regardless okay and so i cater to a lot of the metal boys for instance and um they're obviously huge bare knuckle fans you know they they've got their favorite bare knuckle and when they're specking out a guitar they'll have they'll include that or perhaps a duncan uh, so i'm finding these days the most popular uh probably bare knuckle um the fishman uh, fluence, fluence range is, oh. is becoming very, very popular. Mm-hmm. Um, they're um, rivaling pretty much the bare knuckle now. In terms of, and I'm, I'm speaking about my um, my range, so the ones that I would be familiar with, yep. um, or you know, um, putting out in, in my um, customs and production line ones. Um, after that, probably a few Duncans, um, and then a few other lesser known, um, more boutique. Um, brands but yeah so bare knuckle and fishman are the big ones at the moment most people seem to be specking those and like i say most of most of uh, my uh, customer base 
um, they kind of know their pickups anyway, and so they'll spec it out already you know, uh-huh. as to what, what they want in there. And, and it obviously helps to have them factory installed, either from a custom build here, I'll put them in for them, or even when I get the um, the OS stuff, the production line stuff in from Asia, I'll then um, put in their favourite pickup into that um, OS build. Is it fair to think of pickups as being the final filter on the guitar? Uh, so to use a different analogy... A speaker, bo- a speaker cab on an amplifier, um, it radically changed it. Or if you were to be editing some video and at the very end you just throw a filter on the whole thing, you go, oh, you know, because the whole thing was just a bit too bright, let's put this on and that darkens it. Can you think of your pickups in that way as well? I've got this guitar, you know, it's just too bloody twangy. The final thing that's going to influence the sound, well, let's try some not-so-bright pickups. Is that a, a good way of, of thinking things? Yeah, I think so. Because obviously pickups are different. Like on a, on an electric guitar, you know, we're talking before about the tone woods and, and sort of the effect on that. Um, obviously, and you'd probably agree. I mean, the pickups make a vaster um, difference to the sound coming into your amp than any tone would mm-hmm. would in your in your guitar. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, so um, certainly, I mean, you've and 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 that stands to reason because of the, um, the way the pickups are designed and how they're wound and so forth, they will have to, just by nature of how they're built, they're going to have to provide a different output and a different sound going to the amplifier, mm-hmm. for sure. So they are they're very, very critical in that. Now, you mentioned along the way a couple of guys that are endorsing your guitars. I'm assuming Australian artists, or have you got any guys overseas? And is there any... Who sh- should we check out that's playing some of your guitars? Yeah, okay. So um, I've got um, a lo- lot of the young metal guys, um, and I'll, g- I'll go through the, a, a quick list. So starting with... Um, some of the metal boys in Melbourne. Um, we've got a band Zeolite. Uh-huh. So check them out. Um, How do we spell that? Do you know? That's a... Yep. Z-E-O-L-I-T-E. Z-E-O-L-I-T-E. I'm going to check them out. Yep. Um, so that's Grant and Pat down in Zeolite. Yep. Um, we have um, Gravemind uh-huh. down in Melbourne as well. Um, and one of their guitarists, Michael... Um, is using our Avenger and Katana. Um, up in Newcastle, we have um, Hamish, who uses... Um, he's got a few of my guitars now. He's got, I think he's got a, a Katana, an Avenger, and a Jazzmaster now, uh, Jazz Blaster style. Yep. Um, and he's in, uh, in a couple of projects. Um, the newest one, uh, which I'll, I'll, I'll plug for him, is... Um, called faith in lies i believe this is his new project okay so um so check them out um they're they're um, they're about to release some really cool new stuff um going back down to melbourne we've got um a young teenage band actually which um, was one one of my first endorsees um young ed warren in ironstone okay you you really need to check them out because um they're uh, they're about to do a release um in next week actually um their, their their first ep Nice. So I, re- I really want to plug them as well. Yep. Um, there is also um, Brock in uh, the band, his new band, End of Days, uh, down in Melbourne as well. Okay. So, so you've got a few guys out there. Mate, Ernie, I want to just bring up one thing before we round things up, and that is your logo. You've got a seriously cool logo on the headstock of your guitars, man. <laughs> I don't mind it either. Yeah, it's... Um, it's it's fairly distinctive, and um, there, there is a little bit of a story behind that. Um, Do you care to, to tell us that story? Yeah, I, I don't mind. Um, 
a while ago, um, I had a, 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 one of my customers actually come to me and he, um, and he, he said, he says to me, look, don't take this the wrong way, but you know, you sort of seem to be catering for the metal boys a lot, but your, your logo kind of isn't, you know, maybe you should think, you know, think about something a bit cooler or a bit more sort of, you know, cause your logo is not really doing it. Um, and and I, I didn't take it the wrong way. I, I, I thought that was really good, um, constructive feedback. You've got to listen to the feedback. Yep. Absolutely. And he said, you know, you, you know you've got to be a bit cooler than what you're doing. And uh, like I said, okay, fair enough. And, but but, but um, kindly enough, he, su- he suggested, he goes, look, him and his, uh, a mate of his are, are graphic designers. And um, do I mind if they just threw a couple of ideas at me? Mm-hmm. I said, of course, no, no worries. And he go, and he said, look, you don't need to take our ideas or anything, but we'd be happy to sort of help and try and come up with something that might look cool. And so they threw a few things at me a week later or something, and immediately they were onto this like theme of uh, like incorporating um, the ET initials in the form of a sword or a weapon. And because I mean, a lot of our a lot of my models have got kind of that sort of a theme. Katana. Yeah, the the name of the model itself has kind of got like a weapon theme for whatever reason. It just sort of ended up that way. And um, they came upon one particular um, design and I saw it straight away because it had the, like, um, within the, um, okay, so here it is. Anyway, if you can see it there, that's the. Yep. It's a little bit low. um, It was just undershot, but we get the idea. Yeah, so. it looks like basically like a sword and the, the E part makes up the handle of the sword and then the crossbar sort of guard on the, on the thing is the T. And when I saw that, I thought, yeah, great. And then I just modified it a little bit and they helped me with that. But it, it, it effectively has stuck since then. It's, um, it's so simple but identifiable and I, I really liked it. You know, and, um, and I think a lot of people do, do like it because it's simple and it's very identifiable. Well, the classic thing was um, when I was down at the Melbourne Guitar Show and – you, um, Phil, Remco and myself were all having a, a beer. I got a text from a chap saying, hey, man, make sure you drop in and, and say good day to Ernie from ET Guitars for me. And I texted him back and said, you shit me, mate. I'm having a beer with him right now. And he's like, oh, I designed his logo. So uh, I assume that's who you were talking about when you said the, the couple of guys. Absolutely. That's Joseph and his, and his buddy. Um, they, yeah, they, they were kindly came up with that um, for me and... Um, yeah, no, it's it's great how that sort of thing happens, and it's not just um, the logo. There's a, a number of other things like that where um, customers have come in and, and helped with that. Um, also, with things like um, suggestions for models or mm-hmm. suggestions to modifications to uh, various models or various things. Um, a lot of the feedback you get is from the customer base or from um, close friends who are also customers or whatever. And, they, and a lot of that feedback is so um, important and critical. And I listen to all of it. Uh, because you know, so much of it is so valuable. You know, things, things like this, you know, from Joseph, I mean, the idea for the logo and it, um, if he hadn't have come forward and mentioned it and then spent that time to actually, um, you know, to do that, you know, I may have not even looked at it for a long time, yep. you know, it's one of those things. And um, some of these new models, um, like the, the um, Jazz Blaster style, it, was, it came from um, customer requests. I mean, the whole multi-scale thing was driven a lot by the, um, uh, by the customers. Um, another new one, which I haven't mentioned at all, was the um, I've done a multi-scale take on an Explorer type design. Oh yeah, uh, um, and as a seven-string, and so it was basically the boys from Gravemind and Zeolite. They said, oh, they kind of almost dared me. They said, oh, 
do you want to try and do a like a explorer with a big uh, reverse banana headstock on it as a seven string baritone? I said, that sounds stupid. Let's do it. Yeah, <laughs> and um, it's and that's quite a good one, um, and that's available now as well as um, as a design. So you, you've yeah, got so to listen. You got to listen to the people. They got the ideas. Well, look at Leo Fender. Didn't play. Couldn't play a lick. But no. he had the engineering capabilities and listened to what people wanted uh, instead yeah, of yeah. forcing on them. This is what you want. No, you tell me what you want. So, yeah, and that's that's a big part of it. And you kind of um, it's not a case you have to listen. It's it's a, it's a case of it's just so important to, to to mesh in because I mean if it comes down to only my personal tastes, it'd be like a six string multi scale and that'd be about it. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe with maybe with a trem and um, then so much else that would be possible wouldn't be possible because. I'd be constricting it just purely to what I like, you know, and that's not how, how it should be. I mean, I'm, I'm here to sort of help out others, and um, that's why it's it's critical to take on all their suggestions and um, and have a good think about it and, and all that. I mean, and, and another one was with the multi-scale. Um, some of the boys from down in Melbourne, they were saying, oh, look, we owned a multi-scale from another brand, but we're finding it hurts our hands because the fan is too big. Okay. But we're playing yours here at the Melbourne Guitar Show, and it's like it feels great. So our suggestion would be, I mean, in order to get our lower tunings, can we do the same kind of fan or the same angles on the fan, but just make it bigger, like a more baritone, just so we can get to a like a drop, sort of drop F or drop F sharp sort of area on a seven string. And so I thought I'll give it a, I'll, I'll help them out with that. Sure, you know, and um, and so I did that and. That's added to the range now. It's, it's added a longer multi-scale, but with a quite a comfortable ergonomic um, fan. You nice, know? nice. So have you gone much down the road of more than seven, like eight strings and and the like? Have you experimented? Yeah, yeah I've got eight, eight strings available. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And including eight string multi-scales as, as well. Okay. I'm actually very keen to try an eight string, but tune it a little differently. You're not bound to what you're supposed to do with it. So I was thinking... If I had an eight string, how great it would be to stand tune it to standard, but have the two lower pitch strings as a bass E and A string, be able to do some slapping. That the width would be a bit hard, but do some yeah. slap bass and then be able to do some funk chords in between. That's something I want to try out. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, mate. We got some really nice uh, feedback from Gabor at the super fun, awesome, happy time pedal show which is a, a great little YouTube show worth checking out. And he's just said that uh, I just checked out the ET Guitars website and they look great. I really like the headless thing lately. The MIG looks awesome. So um, Gabor's oh, I appreciate a, that. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's got a great little show there, him and Alex. Um, and they do that from the Sunshine Coast, but they, they get international recognition. I actually met him in Germany last year at a YouTube event. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, very funny to meet up on the other side of the world and go, hey, man, we only live an hour or two away from each other. But yeah, yeah, absolutely classic. Ernie, thank you so much for your time, mate. I told you it goes quick. We've been at it for an hour and a half now, mate. There you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And as I said, mate, I'm definitely going to save my pennies and get a a beautiful creation from you. I'll talk further about some custom options and the like. Uh, So etguitars.com. I do believe there's like a custom order form on there if you've got any... um, custom desires on your guitar talk to ernie about it and uh, i'm sure he could do that for you ernie taylor thank you very much mate thank you rick and folks we will see you again who have i got on tomorrow we've got thomas blug from blue guitar on tomorrow who makes an absolutely um, amazing floor amp if anybody's interested in um 
not lugging around their big gear anymore and having a pedal board basically with an amplifier built into it. Um, tune in tomorrow. That's going to be later on the day. I'll, I'll send some reminders out on the social media. But once again, thank you very much, Ernie, and see you, folks. Where's my end screen? There it is. <laughs>